Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus podcast. Tonight, I promise you, I'm going to show you, or not show you, but I'm going to talk to you about my knowledge of classic film, my vast knowledge. I promise you an entertaining show. We're going to talk about all of the icons and why for me personally, I don't think this generation of film stars is ever going to measure up. And we're going to explain there are a few who actually do. And it has to do with being theater trained. Okay? Stay tuned, Dr. Zeus Podcast. Good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Podcast. As I said, I promise a show about film, classic film. Now, the golden age of cinema basically began right before the turn of the century. In 1896, a film was developed. The first motion picture, and it was short, was developed. And since then, films have grown and they've become part of the cinematic fingerprint of the 21st and the 20th century. I should have said the other first, but hey, I'm on. Where art was the dominant force in in, uh, media in the 19th and the first part of the 20th century. The second half of the 20th century is all about film and painting with, you know, um, a camera, basically. Cinematography, you got your score, and you have, of course, the actors. The actors which breathed life into these words created for the cinema. So at the beginning of the 20th century, the big stars in cinema were Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, Buster Keaton, to name a few. Oh, and Lillian Gish, if I would be remiss. Lillian Gish and her family were these famous actresses, these famous performers. And, you know, they all made films together. And then in the 1930s, thus the golden age of film began. And you had these bit players that were just coming up. Bogart, Cary Grant, bit players. James Cagney, which became famous for Public Enemy. And then toward the end of the 30s, the big year of the 1930s was 1939. You had Gone with the Wind, Ninochka, Stagecoach, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Dark Victory, The Wizard of Oz. Um, And then there was that one film... Let me check it out. Because 1939 was was the year. You know, you had all these films in color because black and white was the dominant feature at that time. And then things changed. Things changed and you had, you know, it, it was all about, okay, you know, Hollywood wanted to change. So you had these icons that were starting to come up. Bogart. Bacall wasn't wasn't even there yet. And so in 1939, we had Gone with the Wind, The Wizard of Oz, Withering Heights, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Stagecoach, The Women, The Little Princess, Goodbye Mr. Chips, one of my personal favorites, Nonochka with Greta Garbo. Uh, Mohawk, The Rules of the Game, Betty Davis' Dark Victory, The Old Maid, 
Dodge City, Destry Rides Again, Of Mice and Men, Gunga Din, Love Affair, Angels Have Wings, Gulliver's Travels. I mean, that's how it began. And then in 1940, I think it was, was it 41? Yeah, it was 41. A young up-and-coming director directed his first feature, The Maltese Falcon. His name was John Huston. John Huston didn't particularly like actors, but the gentleman that he had starring in The Maltese Falcon, he loved. And that was, of course, Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart, his star was just starting to climb around that time. And of course, he became an icon with Casablanca, directed by Michael Cortese, who later directed Joan Crawford in her Oscar-winning performance, Mildred Pierce. Because she had left MGM and went to Warner Brothers, to the, to the chagrin of Betty Davis. Now, let's back it up. So, Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart was not this leading man. He does Casablanca. He's immediately a leading man. And then, in 1944, he meets a woman that will change not only his career, but her career with their performances in To Have and To Have Not, written... By Ernest Hemingway. Lauren Bacall. Lauren Bacall's real name was Betty Joan Persky Bacall. The director renamed her Lauren Bacall. She worked with Humphrey Bogart. She has often said that. In terms of a leading man, she thought, oh, maybe she'll work with Cary Grant. And then she said, Bogart. Yuck. But she later changed her tune as she got to know him on the set of To Have and To Have Not. And one of the greatest love stories of film was born. There was an age difference, but she didn't care. And so Bacall, Bogart and Bacall, it began. To Have and To Have Not was a big film. Of course, there's the famous moment. You know how to whistle, Steve. It just puts your lips together and blow. She closes the door and Bogart. <laughs> they later do The Big Sleep, which is a classic film. My favorite, though, is where he's like, what's wrong with you? Nothing you can't fix. Yeah, I know all the dialogue. And then they did Key Largo. Key Largo is probably one of their great films together. And then you think of the other performances the, and directed by John Huston, The Maverick. John Huston was able to help all of these different actors within an ensemble communicate. Edward G. Robinson as the gangster. Claire Trevor as the gun mall, who later won an Academy Award as her performance of Gay Don in Key Largo. Humphrey Bogart as this veteran of the war. Lauren Bacall as this young widow of a, a war-torn so- soldier. And then you have Lionel Barrymore and his, one of his last, well, no, it was, he, he, at that point, he couldn't walk anymore. So he's in a wheelchair most of the film. So Bogart and Bacall, John Huston. John Huston later directed Bogart in another film, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Treasure of the Sierra Madre, which famously has Bogart against um, a landscape 
you know, where they're digging for gold. And then, of course, you have... It doesn't hurt that John Huston put his father in the film, Walter Huston, who walked away with an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. John Huston won in the Oscar for Best Director. And then in 1986, he directed his daughter, Angelica Huston, to an Oscar. And thus, you have three generations of Oscar winners. Um, Walter Huston, John Huston, and Angelica Huston. So with Humphrey Bogart... He was the goose with the golden egg. Of course, Treasure of Sierra Madre, those famous lines delivered by the bandits. Badges. I don't need to show you no stinking badges. Later, Dick Cavett asked John Houston, were those real bandits or actors? And John Houston said they were bandits. Now, I'm going to go off of the sideline and I'm going to talk about the stars of today who don't really measure up to the stars of the classic era. I'm going to mention a few who do. Now, as I mentioned John Huston, there is a really great Irish-British actor who used John Huston's voice and mimicked it. For, of course, you all know what I'm going to say. There will be blood. Daniel Day-Lewis, a three-time Academy Award winner, one of the first. He, he has won Best Actor three times. No other actor has done that. The only person that can come close from the classic age of film is Catherine Hepburn, who won four Best Actress Oscars. No supporting, all lead. Daniel Day-Lewis is the closest we can come to a classic actor. He has the charisma. He has the madness of a method actor to stay in character. An example of this, of course, is... My Left Foot, his first Oscar-winning role. The second one, There Will Be Blood. Directed... Oh, God, his name escapes me right now. Um, there Will Be Blood. And I, and I have that movie. I love that movie. And he's this prospector, and he's like, I drink your milkshake! I drink it up! Did you think your song and dance and superstition? I am the third revelation. I told you I would eat you. Yeah. Or when he says, I abandoned my child, you know. I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my boy. I can't do it justice, but you know. Daniel Day-Lewis had really retired from acting. And it was Martin Scorsese that pulled him back out and said, you're going to do Gangs in New York. Do you know what Daniel Day-Lewis was listening on the set of Gangs of New York to prepare every day to get in character? Eminem. Isn't that interesting? So there will be blood. You know, that's a nod to classic cinema right there. The story, this prospector, it's about oil. Let me see if I can find it. I, I mean, I love there will be blood. And, ah, here we go. Paul Thomas Anderson, who also directed Boogie Nights. There's another act. Of, there's a few actors I'm going to name that would come close to our classic film actors. Meryl Streep, of course. Meryl Streep, who is probably iconic. She's, she always puts that character in it, and it's the Streep approval. And one person who didn't particularly think much of her was, of course, Katherine Hepburn, which is so sad because she was compared to Katherine Hepburn. The one person, though, 
that came to Meryl Streep's defense and loved Meryl Streep was, of course, Betty Davis. Betty Davis said Meryl Streep possessed the same star quality that she and all of those who came before her did. And years later, Meryl Streep talked about that for Turner Classic Movies and said she used to sit down, turn on the classic movie station, and take lessons on how to scare the hell out of a man from Betty Davis. Meryl Streep right there. Meryl Streep, basically, three-time Oscar winner. You know, exceptional. Probably more popular now than she's ever been. Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington, who likes Sidney Poitier, really, you know, came to Hollywood at an interesting time. He first started out in St. Elsewhere and then translated to films, got his first Oscar nomination for Cry Freedom and Supporting. And then in 1992, under the direction of Spike Lee, he starred as Malcolm X in the film Malcolm X. It earned Denzel Washington an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor. He ultimately lost it to Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman. Denzel Washington has been nominated several times for Best Actor. And then in 2002, he won the Best Actor it was the first time in 40 years since Sidney Poitier had won for Lilies of the Field that a black actor won in a lead acting category. That same night, Halle Berry won for the first time a black actress won Best Actress in a leading role in 74 years of Oscar history. Since Halle Berry's win, there hasn't been a black actress that has won closest we could say has come close to winning but was beaten out by Meryl Streep was Viola Davis. Viola Davis also possesses the same classic actor quality. She is theater trained. A lot of actors of the classic era such as Henry Fonda and Marlon Brando were trained in the theater. Even Katherine Hepburn and Betty Davis. So classic film actors you know, the actors of today, they try. Some of them can rise to the occasion. Leonardo DiCaprio, we could also compare to a classic actor. He starred in so many great films. Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren, who really, like Meryl Streep, puts herself into the characterization of a character. Famously played Elizabeth II, won an Academy Award for playing Queen Elizabeth during the time that Princess Diana dies in The Queen. And how she handles it. The metamorphosis of Helen Mirren into Queen Elizabeth II is startling. And then I remember watching it and knowing she ultimately was going to win because that right there was amazing to watch. And so back to the classic actors. And of course, we're talking about Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart was a big-time smoker. Lived by the golden rule, according to his wife, and widow, Lauren Bacall. He did The Cane Mutiny, which he was nominated for, but the film that won him the Academy Award was The African Queen with Katherine Hepburn, directed by John Huston. John Huston and Humphrey Bogart were the best of friends, and what's interesting is John Huston didn't particularly like actors, but he loved Humphrey Bogart. He said when Humphrey Bogart died, he felt a piece of him died with him. Humphrey Bogart never uh, made another film with Lauren Bacall. He unfortunately died of 
esophag- uh, uh, throat cancer in 1957. He had done the Kane Mutiny. He had done Sabrina. Him and Bogart or Bacall were going to do another film, and it wasn't to be. Humphrey Bogart would have been 100 years old December 31st, 1999. But for the time that he lived on this earth, his contribution to film has been iconic. No one has ever looked like that. No one has ever sounded like that. No one has ever worn a fedora like Humphrey Bogart. I actually purchased a fedora just by searching the term Bogart hat. So he is synonymous with classic film. I mean, you know, whenever I turn on the TV and a Bogart film comes on, you just have to watch it. He was the best. In 1999, I was introduced to classic films through the American Film Institute. They would do these lists, 100 years, 100 stars, 100 films. In June of 1999, I stumbled upon 100 Years, 100 Stars, and there it was, Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart was named the number one male screen icon of the 20th century. The number one female screen icon of the 20th century, Katherine Hepburn. They both starred together in The African Queen. So it's this fitting moment. It's this close to to today's show where we've discussed the icon, Humphrey Bogart. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about, of course, Casablanca. Casablanca being probably his most famous film. You know, of all the gin joints and all the places in the world, she walks into mine. Him and Ingrid Bergman. Ingrid Bergman didn't particularly like Casablanca. Humphrey Bogart loved it. There are a great many people who believe that Humphrey Bogart should have won the Academy Award for Casablanca. And yeah, he should have. But he did win. And that was for, you know, his final nomination. No, he was nominated soon after, but didn't win. Was for um, the African Queen. I am such a Humphrey Bogart fan. Like I said, I have the hat. You know, the dialogue. Um... I think The Big Sleep, that's such a good film. A lot of people have problems with the plot. I love it. And there's this moment at the end where they just kind of look at each other and he's like, what's wrong with you? Nothing you can't fix. I mean, they always had the best lines together. You know, to have and to have not. You know how to whistle, Steve. You just put your lips together and blow. And then she shuts the door. Humphrey Bogart looks up and goes... That's the Dr. Zeus podcast. And so I hope you enjoyed my brief talk about Humphrey Bogart, what he means to all of us. Humphrey Bogart didn't just stand up for himself or stand up for others. He stood up for also African-Americans. A good example was Lena Horne. Lena Horne had just come to Hollywood. He stood up for Lena Horne. He stood up for Hattie McDaniel. Because, you know, they wanted to go to, they wanted to live in places that didn't permit African-Americans. And Humphrey Bogart fought for that. Humphrey Bogart was a friend. He was a lover. You know, he, he was a gambler. But he did it all under the golden rule, according to his wife. And he had such immense energy. So 
whenever you watch one of his films, you can almost see some of his humanity in the performance, whether he's playing a bad guy or a good guy. He played bad guys really well. He played good guys really well. When he played a good guy, though, it was always a good guy with a, a, a lot of edge. He wasn't just squeaky clean. He had the edge. And that's the Bogart persona right there. And so, as always, unpleasant dreams. <laughs>